Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. He's also not wearing socks inside those work boots because he used his socks to wipe his ass. She literally looked like she was going to have a heart attack because this was her prized little poodle. If I had used my 10-inch auger, your Vexler would be gone. I live in Washington State, and we have hogs for steelhead. I catch them all the time and avoid game officers while I take a picture of them and put them back. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that cooked up a story and dropped the six of you in a meat grinder, leaving you wondering what happened to it because it used to be a podcast you could trust when asking for detailed directions to fishing spots. I'm Joe Cermelli. Miles, are you with uh, us? <laughs> I'm, I'm Miles Nolte. <laughs> was, was, was that a predator reference? Yes. It was, it was a, it was, yes, a predator and a, it was an obscure one because really it's just my, my roundabout way yeah, of saying, no, I didn't, <laughs> it's my roundabout way of saying the theme for this week's show is Carl Weathers. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Weathers. So, uh, the theme, I'll, 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 I'll all right, you threw me, but the theme <laughs> sounds it sounds a little questionable, and uh, as, as was the the yeah, it sort of. I mean, no more questionable than the reference you started with. But you know what, dude? I'll play. Good. I'm in. Play. I'm down. Uh, I'm just thinking about this now. I would say though that for the record, uh, I, I probably would have skipped the Saturday Night Live clip that you that you started with. I, mm. I think I would have used this one instead. Who's he? His name is Carl Weathers, and he's my new acting teacher. And Lindsay, he's teaching me all these valuable life lessons. Okay, touche, touche. I love, I love, mm-hmm. I love the Arrested Development angle you took there. Uh, so, is this, is this does this mean you're in? Does this mean we're going to do a Carl Weathers show? Because I, I you just want to, cla- I want to clarify something to our <laughs> listeners. Like, we don't think about this shit weeks in advance. Often the theme, like, it's like <laughs> sometimes hours before we record it. So this is not some. 
it was I, I was putting this together and I was like, Carl Weathers, that's the theme. Dude, like I said, <laughs> I'm in. If if nothing else, I'm like, I'm very, very invested in seeing exactly how how you're gonna go about trying to pull this one together. So okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, in. I'm, I, I'll play. <laughs> I take that as a compliment from you, man. And I, I feel we can uh, both appreciate the challenge of loosely basing a fishing podcast episode on like a roided out 80s movie star. What could possibly go wrong? Maybe this wasn't such a damn good idea after all. You know I respect a writing challenge and a feat such as this, and I, I, I wish you nothing but luck. But <laughs> uh, before I even let you really get started, I'm going to sidetrack you because that's what we do to each other. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you that a story I once had a neighbor, like when I was in my twenties and, and this neighbor had a golden retriever named action Jackson. Oh, no shit. Cool. Yeah. No, true story. And so action Jackson, of course, being the, the cult classic Carl Weathers film from 1988, that is so over the top. It's like, it's almost a parody yeah. of it's the good. genre of the action movie. It's, it's so bad. It's good. Um, I don't know if it's good, but it, it, it is what it is. Like you, you, that was when action movies peaked and then went over the top. Oh, um, and, and that's the, the clip that we just played also came from that movie for the record. And, uh, I personally have always thought that action Jackson might've been the best dog name. It's good. Of all time. It's up there. I particularly, it was like this huge golden retriever that was always standing in the backyard barking at people. And I was like, you have the perfect name. And, <laughs> and I'm just going to point out that I might be foreshadowing some things you're going to bring in later. Uh, in the show. I, I, I see what you did there. That was good. Um, but I, look, I don't need luck. I'm going to do Carl Weathers episode here today. <laughs> it's done. It might not be good, but it's done. We're committed. Uh, anyway, I, well, but it's look, happened. It, it's yeah, happening. it's happened. It's happening. Um, if if I had to to peg a real theme, maybe a sub theme, like a sub Carl Weathers theme to this week's show, I guess it could be perseverance, which that harkens us back to that old weekly word of yours, perseverate. Yeah, yeah, that was I liked that one, though you were not such a fan when I first. I remember I first recorded. That, I was like, "What do you think?" You're like, Meh, "Not so sure." So I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you came around on that one finally. Yeah, and, and I, you admit that I was right. I have. You're, you're welcome. I, I have, but probably because it just suits my own needs this week. <laughs> so, you Fair. know, um, this week you're going to have to persevere through uh, a few more Carl Weathers references, whether you like them or not. The smell of rank coolers, that's something else. What else we got? Uh, a lure that might cause permanent ligament damage in your shoulders. And the the stereotypical inshore Cabela shopper are all things. Yep. We got, we got things coming. Uh before we get there, though, you will have to persevere for, through one other thing. We're we're leading off with a, I don't know, dude. I never know how to describe him. A, a most unhumble. That's good. Yet phenomenal <laughs> angler, uh, particularly when it comes to walleye or anything in the Great Lakes. Uh, you know, I would go so far as to call as to call Ross arrogant. Yes, I think I think that's fair. He's yes. an arrogant man, which you know, could that's a quality you might want in a fishing guide. I'll say that too. I, I think I think it's good. I, I want to <laughs> like if if I'm hiring the guy, I want the guy who's like overconfident that we're going to catch fish, not the guy who's like uh, I don't know. Maybe That's true. That's good. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So anyway, Ross Ross Roberts is back this week for the smooth move segment. Uh, our our favorite time to let guides and and captains tell humorous uh, stories or just bitch about things clients do, whatever they feel like telling us. And Ross is going to tell us about his favorite cocktail recipe that marries whiskey before sunup with lap dogs and. Atrial fibrillation. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Karen? Oh my God. 
joining us today on Smooth Moves, one of my all-time favorite people. That's a bold statement. I know, I know. He, he, I'm seeing him on a screen right now in the look of shock. Captain Ross Robertson, big water fishing. How are you, my friend? <laughs> friend? One of, I mean, right now I'm just overwhelmed. I feel like... I, I feel overwhelmed because you showed up wearing a hat that says smooth moves. Yeah, that is and just... It, uh, like the, did you do brilliant. that on purpose? Was, there, was, yeah. was that thought through or just a complete accident? I mean, you know, I'm just a human train wreck, so probably not. But I mean, <laughs> smooth moves suspension seats. I mean, seriously. I, I'll, I, you know what? I like it so much, I'll let you plug the sponsor. Because I'm like, man, he sat down... With uh, this this reminds me of the time I forced you to wear a hat that says "Get over yourself." Do you remember that? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. good too. Yeah. Anyway, um, so remind on us brand. Again. I'm just saying that's on brand in more ways than one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with it. People, you know, it's just funny. Like people think me and you hate each other. It's funny. Uh, it is true. When I, mean, when I only kind of hate just you. Like you. Yeah, I just, I, just, I, just you. I can tolerate you. Is the thing right. that's tolerable. It. Yeah, you've so, actually said my semi-tolerable friend because I remember things too. I <laughs> referred to you as that a, 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 many times. My semi-tolerable friend Ross Robertson. Semi-tolerable friend Ross Robertson. Do remind the listeners how many years you've got in now guiding for the uh, Wallies there on Lake. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly, but it's either twenty-one or twenty-two. So I'm very excited to finally get a smooth move story from you. Cause I, I know there's many I've, I've heard many, um, but you got yeah, one shot. So hit us with the best man. What do you got? I got a lot of them. Some of them we probably couldn't talk on here. Cause you guys are not PC, but let's just be honest. Some of these things ain't meant for nowhere. You can hit the record button, <laughs> but when people are drinking on a boat, it's a no go for me. You know, I'll mm. drink one or a dozen with you, but I'm late on, you know, that's just a no go. So, I'm out there fishing and I've got a guy that I realized from somehow from the time we took off till the time we basically set up, this dude is hitting a flask and he is snookered. Mm. So I basically canceled the day, say, kind of make a little bit of an excuse up just to, you know, down cut him short. So you cut, you cut your day short because yeah. he was bad enough. Uh, like yeah. by 90%. Because I mean, this dude, <laughs> he almost knocks me out of the boat as soon as we're getting ready to set up. Gotcha. Like, it's game over. Gotcha. Like this is, this is a bad deal. I'm sure my insurance guy's cringing right now. So anyhow, I, I burn them back in and it was middle of the week. And so there's like nobody really around where tie, tie up at the dock. It's on a river kind of useful information for a second. So I literally run to get my truck. I turn around and look, and this guy's like, I can, he, cause it's not that far away. He is untying the ropes and he's like, Oh, clear. And the boat is now like banging and sliding <laughs> down this river. Oh, Thankfully there's no. untied you from the dock of the ramp. Yeah. Yeah. On, on a river. <laughs> On a river. Now it's not good any place, but it's really bad in a river. And it's also middle of the week. There's nobody around. Like I try to use launches where there's nobody around. Right. So fortunately there was a courtesy dock. that's I'm going to say hundred and some feet long. I literally run. I mean, it was like a movie deal. I run like forest, jump on the boat, literally almost breaking rods in the front deck. I get in the thing, get it under power and tie it back up. As you can imagine, mega, mega pissed at this point and about really done with life. So yeah. the other guy who is not snuckered, who's one of my regular guys and still fishes with me, he's like, I already know, ah, you know, he's just, he, he's just, he knows I'm about ready to go eight mode on this deal. So, so now I get it and I tell him, Hey, listen, meet me at the top of the parking lot. We're going to get your stuff out of the boat. I'm going home. Game over. He, they're trying to take me to breakfast, lunch or whatever. I'm like, done. Pay me. We're all, I, I'm cause I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to go home instead. So I'm top of the deal here and I'm waiting. I can't find him. I don't see him. I don't see him. And now where he had to park was down a hundred yards away or something like that. And I'm looking, I don't see him and I won't see him coming. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to drive my boat and truck in the car parking. 
which is, you know, there's barely, there's not really a room to turn around to do any of that, but I'm just like done over with this. So I drive down there and there's a little car in front of me, which I almost go ape shit on. And then I realize it's like some 80 year old husband and wife. And I realize then that the wife is out and she's standing in front of her car. So I get out now and I'm in a place that's like a semi in a, you know, in a school parking lot. Like, I mean, this is logistically, this doesn't all work. And I look out and this woman, it looks like she's having a heart attack. She has just like got her hand over her mouth. Oh, what's going on? Well, I look down and here's my dude laying flat on the ground in front of their car. And I'm like, did he get smoked Did by the car? I mean, what's going on? And then I realize like, he's got this thing and he sits up and he's petting this dog but all you can see is of Rufus here is just this little tiny, it looks like a lollipop in him because he's, his arms are so big. He's and like Lenny he, in it from, from of Mice and Men. Absolutely. <laughs> he has this dog in a death grip, but doesn't even realize it because he's that snookered, right? And this woman is like, oh my God. And I've got to basically go up there and be like, dude, let, let go of that dog before I kick you in your dome. And uh, because this guy could kick the shit out of all of us. I mean, he's, he's a big yeah. dude, even though he's yeah. Wait, hold on, hold on. I got, I got to check. Was the dog okay? Yeah. Well, I mean, having a Rufus. Apparently, I mean, I didn't do a vet check or anything on it, but he, he went home. He got in the car with a nice little old lady. She okay. did not have a heart attack. I think that was probably the biggest thing in this whole deal because she literally looked like she was going to have a heart attack because this was her prized little poodle. I got to say, man. For all the ways that this story could have gone, it really ended as well as it could. You 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 did the track star sprint and and leap guide yeah. your boat back didn't take anybody out in the parking lot the lady old lady didn't die and the dog was okay and best of all you didn't get into fisticuffs with your client i i really couldn't have seen this ending any other way that that, that was positive so I'd say that's a you know, really I, good one. I, I like positive stuff. I mean, there are a few that my do um, you yeah, just exude positivity, huh? Yeah, there there's a few that my my lawyer and my insurance agent suggested we not talk about. So I mean, I feel like that this is good. So just in case that one shook you to the core, in case you were on the edge of your seat worrying about the well-being of Rufus the Poodle. <laughs> Just in case. That was a messed up story, man. It, it was. It say. was. So let's heal. Here's Carl Weathers to sing you back to a happy place. What about a rainbow? Have you ever noticed how you feel inside when a rainbow's in the sky? I do not feel healed. <laughs> I do not feel put back together. I do not feel suit like of dude of all the Carl Weathers clips. Like you could have gone Rocky. Mm -hmm. You could have gone predator. You could have gone happy Gilmore hurricane Smith. And, and, and you went with that. That was where you went. You know why? Because I stumbled onto it accidentally. And just, first of all, we don't give enough credit to nineties SNL monologues. And just just based on watching Carl's 90s SNL monologue, I'm sure that was a horrible episode of the show. Like it was oh, a terrible God. monologue. I feel like they might have been hard up for people at the time. But I love the obscurity of it. That's why I, that's why I chose it. And and that's where I have to I, I do have to give you credit because I, I'm giving you full points for not being obvious. That was not where I would have gone <laughs> at all. And uh, so do. credit there. And you know what? I'm I'm gonna thank you because you kind of teed me up because the the book that I'm gonna drop in this week's installment of Frickin' Philistines is also not the obvious choice, though it is 
one of the best essay collections I've read in a long time. What's a Faustin? It's a guy who doesn't care about books or interesting films and things. The Lang Faustin. I love a good essay collection. It's kind of like the, the Tinder of literature. Reading a single essay doesn't require much commitment. You can grab a cup of coffee, share a few minutes of conversation, and then get on with your day. Or maybe you're having a good time. Coffee turns into lunch, and you set the book aside after several hours, already looking forward to the next date. Or coffee rolls into lunch, after which you lose track of time completely, take the book to bed with you, and devour the whole thing. I appreciate options. Good chance I'll review many essay collections, but I'm starting out with one that's kind of underground. Fish Like You Mean It by David Zobey. I'll be the first to admit that the, the title leaves something to be desired, and the copy could have used a more stringent editor. But if you can set those two criticisms aside, you'll get to experience one of the best fishing books you've never heard of. The book spans most of Zobie's life, a series of vignettes held together by two strands, fishing and the attendant strange characters he attracts. From his Lebanese family on the Virginia coast to his contemporary itinerant ramblings in Homer, Alaska, Zobie collects a cast of people too eclectic to be entirely fictional, and fishing tales too humble to be made up. That humility is really my favorite aspect of Zobie's writing. Too many authors, especially those of us who write about conquest pursuits like fishing and hunting, use the space between covers to argue their dominance or show off superior skill. You'll find none of that here. Mostly, you'll find a person trying to make sense of his own major tragedies and minor successes through fishing, his family's immigrant shame, the decay of his hometown after the closing of shipyards, the sting of giving away fishing secrets to sell tackle, a disappointing career, a doomed relationship, a series of canine companions that just never last long enough. It sounds depressing. I know. But it's not. Zobie gets his readers through all that heaviness the same way he gets through it. Exceptional fishing stories featuring fascinating supporting characters. Though, to be fair, he throws in some great duck hunting stories too. Every time the narrative starts to feel really sad, you're transported to a Wyoming river or an Alaskan beach with a rod in your hands and a dog at your heels waiting to chase salmon or trout or seals or sticks. Anyone who has ever felt fishing become escapism and perhaps wondered at what point it tips from being a healthy outdoor pursuit to a self-destructive avoidance tactic will relate to this book. But it's not all deep water navel gazing. Zobie also turns his razored critiques outward from time to time. As in this section of an essay titled, At the Cabela's. The story of Cabela's is one of the true rags-to-riches tales woven into the fabric of Americana. In 1961, Dick Cabela was working at his parents' furniture store in Nebraska when he accompanied his father to Chicago with the purpose to buy more inventory. In a water-damaged warehouse, he stumbled upon some cheap, hand-tied flies from Japan. He knew they were too cheap to pass up, so he bought several thousand. His first ad ran in the Casper Tribune. Only one person answered. His next ad ran in Field and Stream. It read, Five hand-tied fishing flies, free. 25-cent postage and handling. This ad did the trick. 
Dick and Mary Cabela spent their free time filling out orders on their kitchen table. They collected the names and addresses of their first customers on recipe cards and sent them future offers. Regrettably, these were the first catalogs. The birth of a revolution. The flies and the postage to send them back to customers only cost the Cabela's 14 cents, so they made a profit of 11 cents on each order they filled. There really were no free flies. There never were. This was the humble beginning of America's biggest outdoor gear company, the world's foremost outfitter we know today. While wandering around in search of the canine department, I found an Alaskan moose. He was a full body mount. His paddles were the color of maple syrup. The hide seemed large enough to project a movie on his flanks. He was standing in a tumbling stream beside faux boulders, and to my amazement, there were actual rainbow trout in the stream, weaving in and out of the moose's spindly legs. I peered over what passed as a beaver dam and looked down at the fish. They were large for rainbows, some of them pushing 20 inches or so, the kind of fish you catch on the North Platte in March if you can stand the wind and the cold. The tannic smell of the creek, the raw, exposed scent of rot and fish, struck me as original. A large man grazing on peanut brittle he had just purchased leaned over beside me and looked down too. Those are some nicens, he said. A bit of brittle fell from his mouth and the trout scrambled for it. The spell was broken, just like that. But that is the danger of simulacra. The experience itself, just walking into the store, has become the outing, the goal. Going to the Cabela's replaces the need to climb a mountain or find a gross beak in your binoculars. A trip to Cabela's, any Cabela's, does not ask that you risk mosquitoes or a night on the uncomfortable ground. It only asks that you shop, drowsily, impulsively. It asks that you sign up for the in-store newsletter, a Cabela's credit card. It asks that you fill your carts and your arms with products, that you haul them away happily and contented, as if the adventure is within these vaulted showrooms, not some other place without. You won't find this book at your local bookstore, unfortunately, so you'll have to turn to the Cabela's of the book world, good old Amazon, to get a copy. Once you get past that unpleasantness, though, I think you'll only be disappointed when you find yourself staring at the back cover, wishing there was another essay to read. I got to admit, no lie, that book sounds incredible. And you you did pick the perfect passage because I can relate to that so much. And it's so terrible that he's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. When the Cabela's oh, first it. opened up out here in Pennsylvania, people set up campers in the parking lot. Like they came for the weekend to the Cabela's instead of taking really? the camper into the wild. Absolutely. Yeah. And every time Oof. I'd go out there, there'd be another restaurant built up or another shopping center it's just like all these things sprouted around that and you just come spend the weekend at the cabela's that's what you did i could never figure it out um kind of unrelated my wife visited that cabela's with me exactly one time and her takeaway was that she had probably never walked through as many fart clouds in a single day before <laughs> that was so, what she took praise. away from from cabela's well, pe peanut brittle and hot dogs are not good for the digestion. No. That's, that's what I'll say. Um, and man, like Dave nailed it on that one. And and I, I, a full disclosure, uh, he's someone who I call an acquaintance. I think he's a really good guy in addition to being a good writer. But uh, that is both a depressing and completely mm -hmm. accurate passage. And mm -hmm. I feel like one that 
that all of us sort of as an outdoor community need to need to marinate on for a minute. And all of you out there should buy and read that book for sure. Um, it's just good. And Zobi, I think, is a, a sorely underrated writer. Um, I used to edit his stuff when I worked at Gray Sporting Journal, and it, it was like one of those ones when I saw his name in my email, I would I would know something good was coming, and I yeah. wasn't going to want to beat my head against the wall. And, yeah, and I always look forward to it. Oh, I, um, yeah, I, yeah. I can see why, man. And you, I got to give you credit. You are the king of finding like this, the sort of underground dudes that write really, really great stuff. And this is a great example. Uh, sadly, though, I'm probably never going to read Fish Like You Mean It because I, I don't do well with dogs dying. Well, there's not like, I, I should clarify. It's not like a, a, a dramatic dog death is a part of the book. It's just that like you see a series of dogs, like once he's fishing with one dog and then in the next story, it's a different dog. And you know, like, okay. So he that doesn't talk. He doesn't detail the the, the dying of, of dogs. No, no. This is not like okay. a Merle's door right. kind of situation. Okay. I may read it now that I know that. Okay, because I can't do dog. I, look, I can watch Carl Weathers' arm get torn off and feel nothing, but dogs dying <laughs> no. is my kryptonite. So, hopefully, you've not conjured any kryptonite that will block me from emerging victorious in this week's current events battle. Let's do some fish news. Fish news. That escalated quickly. All right. I just have one very tiny baby shout out this week. I just, I have to do this. You remember last week we did the awkward moments in angling with Alex Reed as a young boy? And he was, how, he was, posing. how could you I can't ever forget. forget? Yeah. He was posing with the bluegill after yeah. just having pissed his pants. Yeah. I, <laughs> he wrote in uh, after last week's show to just let me know that that same exact day he also took his first dump in the woods. <laughs> so in that photo that we ran, <laughs> He's also not wearing socks inside those work boots, those little work boots, because he used his socks to wipe his ass. So that's like a little oh, addendum man. to to the pee pants awkward photo. Wow, that's all I got. I'm like, I have to, I have to. That that need the world needs to hear that. So that's- Alex, Alex <laughs> had no idea what he was getting into when he allowed us into his personal history. Um, but he loved it. He's like, thanks for the five minutes of fame. Also, I shit in the woods and wipe, wipe my ass with my socks. <laughs> so he just, he fed that. He didn't have to, he didn't have to offer that up, but he nope, did. And nope, I appreciate it. Nope. The dude is a masochist. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I, I can't have any housekeeping after that. It's, we've, we've, we've soiled the whole segment. Uh, oh, but I'm bummed. <laughs> We are going to do news just a little differently this week. We're yes. not we're not like totally stepping out. It's going to feel familiar, but we're going to we're going to switch it up a little bit. So Joe and I we're each going to do just one single story, and then after mm-hmm. that we're going to bring in a special guest who's who's going to cover uh, a more in depth piece of news for us. And and that's a that's that's a piece of news that neither Joe nor I wanted to have any personal involvement with <laughs> whatsoever for reasons that will become clear when you hear it. Just, just yeah. so you know. It's a little um, change up, but we, we consider doing this more. It's not yeah. bad to have have somebody on every once in a while. So we're trying no, something here. No, Try particularly it with us. people who know more than we. Um, so correct. But despite all that, despite the changes, this is still a competition, and neither Joe nor I know what the other ones bring into the table. And at the end, our illustrious audio engineer Phil will pick a winner. Just this mm-hmm. week, he'll have three options instead of two. Mm-hmm. And uh, and cool. Joe, you got the lead off this week. But you only have one shot at it. One shot. So you better, chance. you better, you better be bringing the goods, man. Yeah. Well, I, I hope I, you know, it's one of the way. Like the story <laughs> well, is not amazing, know. but the talking points after the debate it brings up, I think is is good. Um, it's something everybody can get behind. So this is from forthewind.com. That's part of USA Today headline: 
Angler breaks 50-year-old catfish record. Catch stirs controversy. So what happened here back in September, North Carolina angler John Stone caught himself a 23-pound, 5-ounce channel cat, which that's a big, that's a, that is a large channel catfish. I mean, I don't, I don't care who you are. 23 pounds, 5 ounces is a really good fish. And he filled out all the proper paperwork and submitted it for state record. Now, here's the thing. The previous record was 23 pounds, 4 ounces, Ooh. and it has stood since 1970. All right, so 50 years. But late this January, the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission certified Stone's catch. And here's the fun part. Not only has it beaten the 50-year record by a mere ounce, it was caught in a private pond. And as you might imagine, oh. people are going ballistic over this, especially yeah. since that previous 50-year record came from a public lake. So when, uh, when NCWR posted a photo and announced the certification on its Facebook page, all hell broke loose in the comments. And uh, while, I mean, some were supportive, you know, some were supportive, but most of the men are calling it out as, as straight up cheating, claiming, you know, Stone grew the fish, uh, calling it a farmed catfish and so on and so forth. Now, it's a little, little more here to add another layer of drama. Another story on a different site about this catch notes that Stone is an at-large wildlife commissioner. So people are even more pissed off that he'd even try and have this certified because of that position. And um, I, I looked at all the stories related to this that, that popped up in the news feed, and I can't seem to find one where Stone is, is quoted or defending himself or anything like that. But frankly, if you really stop, he doesn't need to, right? Because regardless of how you feel, North Carolina certifies fish from private water. You know, you might not like it. But there's, there's no shadiness or wrongdoing on, on their end. As far as they're concerned, they don't care what kind of water it came out of. Um, you know, and in my opinion, I certainly understand the frustration here. Uh, but I also think it's fair to say there are so many details that we don't know. So it's, it's hard to make a legit judgment call. I mean, just as an example, right? If, in fact, Stone has been hand-feeding this cat for years in a private pond, essentially growing it, yeah, that's totally lame and stupid, but nobody has made an official claim of that yet. Now, on the flip side, a lot of people have private water, lots of them, right? So if I bought property with a pond on it and it coughed up, say, a state record bass, why would that not count? I haven't manipulated those fish or fed them. It was just there. Maybe it was an old farm pond that's been there since that was farmland, and now I bought my McMansion in North Carolina. There's a huge bass in there. But what people are saying is that it's not right to claim a record from water that not everyone can access. And that's certainly a, a very gray area. And, and there's no battle here. It's basically just people spouting off. But it's, it's a gray area, at least in terms of legality. Ethically, different story based on the case, right? And just to, to put a personal touch on it, for years, I belonged to a private trout club in North Jersey. And the fish there I mean, they, dude, we fed them with automatic deer feeders. Right. Just spit out the yeah. food, right? Yeah. The, to the, keep the them in the stretch. Yeah. Private, privately stocked. And it was what it was. I used to call it the land of make-believe. And it was like somewhere to get your jollies in the middle of the winter. And I'm fairly confident I, I broke the New Jersey State Brook Trout record at least twice many years ago, 
right? Now, technically, technically, I could have weighed that fish in and claimed that record. And honestly, in a way, it would have been more legit maybe than a private pond fish because theoretically, that fish was free to leave our private section of stream and go wherever it wanted. The food kept it there, but that fish could have went wherever it wanted. And I, I, it could have easily ended up caught in a public stretch of that same stream. But I've had, I, I would have literally beaten my own ass if I ever even thought about doing that. It like, wasn't on the me, little J, was it? No, it wasn't on the little you, J. You weren't, you weren't part of that club, I hope. No, no, this is Jerry. Little J's uh, Pennsylvania. Bowl, I thought you said Pennsylvania. Sorry, I heard Pennsylvania. No, 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 no. This is North Jersey. No, this okay. is not the Little okay. J debacle. But to me, I was like, I, 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 I was holding this fish going, God, what a lame loser move that would be. But it would have counted. The state wouldn't have said you can't do that. And the irony in that um, is if that fish did leave that stretch, our stretch, and get caught by some eight-year-old kid five miles downriver, I would have been like, good for him. Get yep. that record. Yep. You know what I mean? So- it's it's uh, there's so much debate there. I get the frustration, but it, it's hard to say. You know, it's the 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 thing or the reason that that it's that we're both kind of I think responding to this the same way is that we just don't care that much about the record thing. Like that's I, not I, that's not and and I'm not trying to put this out as a judgment on the people who do because I get that a lot of people they they augment their enjoyment of fishing by putting particular goals on themselves and and working through those with constraints which is what records are all about right yeah like this size fish on this line that's what makes it fun for me cool you do that that's not how i approach joy of fishing right so this becomes like a pretty academic and kind of well not a a total entirely subjective debate it was legal he can do it right 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 should he have done it now now there's there's where you can go round and round around but can he do it absolutely he did it he can so yeah Get over it if yeah, that makes no, you mad. And, and you're 100% right. If you really like peel the, like the layers away of why there's debate here, for you and I, you're correct. I don't give a damn about record fish. Like the only way – I don't really care about a state record fish. I'll even take it a step further, and I'm going to annoy some people that uh, are listening to this right now. But, you know, a lot of fish just have citations too, like citation catches. I don't know if that's a thing out west. Um, but out no. here, it's like, it's like uh, in New Jersey as an example, it's like they'll say – if you want a pickerel citation for the year, the fish has to be over 23 inches. Like they designate all these different fish, all mm. these different lengths. And if you catch one and send them a photo, like you get a, a citation to put on your wall. <laughs> dude, there are people who have like hundreds of citations. It's like, damn, dude, you need that that bad? Like they post uh, on Facebook. It's like, oh, huh, another citation white perch. Huh, another cite. Got four citation pickerel. Who those gives are people a shit? Who still have all their like ribbons and trophies from high school sports. That's yes. what I'm going to say. <laughs> So, like, dude, the citation, I'm sorry, that's like the bottom of the barrel. For me to care about a record, it would have to be something so mind-blowing. Like, I would have to catch the next world record striped bass or something, like, yeah. really cove- something, coveted. Something storied, yeah. I, Line I, class I, records, I'm sorry. Don't care. No, and I mean, so, we, look, we talked about that whole, we dug into that culture when we reviewed Monty Burke's new book. And and so yeah. this also makes me, you brought up something that made me think of a previous book of, of Monty Burke's, which was Sowbelly, which was all about, there was a whole yep. chapter in there about oh, the yeah, guy who's book. trying to grow yes. the world record largemouth bass, like intentionally and with a lot of chemistry and science. Like, what do you have your private pond for? I'm trying to grow the record right. largemouth, watch it grow, and then catch it and break the record. Yep. Also legal. Is it anything yep. I want anything to do with? No. Has the guy ever succeeded? No. But no. 
that's the that's sort of the extreme extent that these things can go to. And unless we change the rules somewhere and say like private ponds don't count, it only works on public water, then this debate continues to be just kind of moot. You're not going to do that. Right. You're, you know, you're not going to do that. Right. So we don't really know the full story here, but um, either way, like when it comes down to it, he didn't do anything wrong, yeah. uh, you know, so yeah. deal with it. You know, I think it's lame, but deal with it. My my story actually ties into that because it's also about a, a large fish that will annoy the crap out of quite a few people listening. Uh, so from, from my news story this week, we're checking in with Lakeville, Minnesota. And I just got to say really quick, that's got to be the most literal town name uh, in the entire state. It's, it's kind of like how they named my adopted home state, Montana, which means mountains in Spanish, or <laughs> there's a town in Idaho called Tetonia that sits right in the shadow of the Grand Teton. Anyway, yep. so this story comes to us from Northland Outdoors and it comes by way of listener Caleb Prater or Prater. I don't know. I'm butchering it, but either way, thank you, Caleb. Thanks for, for sending it along. Uh, before I get into this though, Joe, I, I feel like I have to give you personally a trigger warning because the, the following story may cause you extreme frustration, uh, anger, envy, a, a general sense that the world is a deeply, deeply unfair place. So if you need to prepare yourself in some way to receive the information I'm about to impart, do so now or just take off your headphones or whatever you got to do for the next couple of minutes. Is it about like Clackcraft giving away a hundred boats for free to people or something like <laughs> it's, that? It's not. It might be worse than that for you. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, if you're going to stick around, just deep breathing. That's all I got to say. All right. So, uh, this story is about John and I'm going to, there are going to be a lot of butchered last names here. Everybody just deal with it. Uh, the story is about John Kuznia and his buddy, Ben Sarion. John and Ben went out ice fishing a couple weeks ago on Lake Charlie, where John keeps a permanent ice house in the winter. John owns a cabin on nearby Lake Ida, where he spends most weekends. These names are going to be important later, so, so make notes. I am. But he prefers to fish on the smaller Lake Charlie. Okay? Okay. So John and Ben and Ben's dad, Carl, got up nice and early and got out of the ice house, and, and they're, they're fishing over about 16 feet of water. And by 7 a.m., they were into a solid sunfish bite. Just, just having a good time. Yarding them in. Okay. And and they're you know they're small sunfish but they're having fun and after a while they noticed some pike were staging around the the, the panfish school and and they started okay. seeing pike take swipes at the hooked bluegills as they were bringing them up you know and yep you know dude like I know you've been in this situation anybody else has been in this situation knows it's a pretty fun game oh like, yeah it's a little Especially sadistic if you got a camera it's like a video game yeah yeah, yeah. It, oh, yeah. It, it's definitely a little sadistic like you hook it a little fish and then you're like oh i got one i'm gonna let him swim around a little and, oh, and, yeah. and see if the big pike whacks at him it's fun it's fun right totally a little dirty maybe but fun so and every once in a while when you're doing that up with pike or other big big fish a pike will grab onto one and it won't let go. Or sometimes I've even seen them like fully inhale the smaller fish head first and then the spines mm -hmm. get stuck in their throat. And, th and mm -hmm. now you're fighting this big pike on really light tackle. Yeah. And it's just a good time. It just, it's a good time. So that's what John and Ben were up to on this particular day. And at some point, John even managed to land a 27 inch pike, which I'm sure was super fun. So that's the scene that's going on. This is, this is what's happening in, in the ice house. And, I don't uh, hate anybody yet. No, so. no, they're just they're just they're just having a nice morning of ice fishing and playing God with the food chain. You know, that's <laughs> what's going on. Then, all of a sudden, their flasher 
starts sliding across the floor of the ice house. And luckily it gets wedged in, in the hole. It's Ben's flasher. Ben grabs, grabs a hold of his flasher and he, he pulls it back a little. And then he and John see a huge fish hanging on to the transducer itself just below the surface. And thinking quickly, Ben lifted up slowly on the transducer cable. The fish's head came up into the hole. John grabbed it behind the gill plate and pulled out a 50-plus-inch muskie hmm. on the transducer. Hmm. After they pulled it up, the fish continued to bite down on that transducer. Kuznia told, told Northland Outdoors, it was honestly a minute and a half before that thing let go. I kind of tickled its mouth, hoping it would open. And it didn't. Huh. So, <laughs> what a, I mean, well, be. it's a crazy story, but it's just, <laughs> it's so unfair to all the people who have spent years of their lives working their butts off trying to catch a 50-inch muskie. It's so unfair. I, now I understand why you think this would, this would <laughs> anger me so much, but it, frankly, it doesn't anger me at all because this is this is how this shit happens with muskies like i know i'm convinced that if i'm ever going to catch a 50 plus inch muskie if, I, if that's ever going to happen for me chances are it's going to be a miracle because it's going to bite some hot and tot or something that i'm throwing for smallmouth. well this so that's crazy enough as it is but there's there's one more wrinkle that makes this even more hard to believe true but okay. hard to believe so and and possibly even more unfair depending on how you want to look at it because Lake Charlie the little lake where they're fishing it's not supposed to have muskies in it the oh. DNR has never stocked muskies there huh it does however <laughs> connect to larger Lake Ida and you'll remember that's where John has a cabin through yeah. a small channel but the DNR has never stocked muskies in Lake Ida either they have stocked muskies in Lake Miltona, which connects to the opposite side of Ida from Charlie. So I looked this up on Google Maps, and that fish, that fish made just a ridiculous journey because these are not like tiny little short channels where they connect right next yeah, to each other. Yeah. We're talking like 50 to 1,000 foot long, super small little skinny water channels, each of which cuts through a culvert under a county road. So this fish went on like a serious walkabout to get there only to be caught by biting and hanging onto a flasher transducer. And if that story doesn't prove how cruel and callous the fates of fishing are, I, I do not know what will. So, okay. So a, a couple things here, right? First of all, I, I hear you on the, on the walkabout, but, and, and I don't really know what I'm talking about here, but I'm pretty sure musky grow fairly slowly. So yeah. a fish that big, it ain't young, right? No, it's an old so fish. that part doesn't doesn't freak me out because if it's that big, it's had a whole lot of time to get to where it ended up. Yep. Right? But here's the other thing. If this happened to me, say, say I was the guy and it bit the, the, the transducer and I pulled up this muskie, while I would be like, holy shit, I can't believe that just happened, it would not count. As oh, my no, no, no. trophy musky. Agreed. So agreed. And and I'm not I'm not saying that to take away anything from these guys, but more in the sense of like, well, yeah, every once in a while this goofy stuff happens, and here's this impossible fish to catch chewing on a transducer. But like, that's still not even catching one by accident on smallmouth tackle or something. It'd be awesome. I would love it, but I like I want to catch my big musky 
fishing for a big muskie. Of course. The and, brights, and you know? The, I don't think these guys are claiming, like, look at our big muskie. They're telling it because it's just no, a no, no. crazy-ass story. And there's even oh, yeah. one, there's one final thing I got to say. That, that I just love how many things had to come together to make this happen. So uh, up uh, in the past, John has used a 10-inch auger to drill holes in the mm-hmm. ice. Mm-hmm. But he just recently bought a brand new auger with a 9-inch blade. And, uh, and he was quoted as saying, if I had used my 10-inch auger, your Vexlar would be gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, we have one, one, one last point of note, right? I think, I think the part we're missing here, it's one thing that he's chewing on the transducer cable, but also, man, I know a lot of captains, especially salty guys, that if they're at a, at a certain shallow depth, like, say, 20 feet of water or less bottom fishing or whatever it is, they'll kill the sonar because a lot of people believe that that ping, that that signal actually screws with the fishing, mm-hmm. you know, in, in certain situations. So it's like another level to me because here's this thing down there, like transmitting. You have to wonder if there was something that tweaked that fish and like, would it have hit it if it wasn't on, you know, or was like something about that signal putting electromagnetic field in the water or something like that. I don't know. Uh, it, it's just another one of those things that, 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 adds to how mysterious and complex a puzzle it is with what fish will eat and when and why we can never figure it out, which is why we keep doing it. Well, I'll have to put some electromagnets on my musky flies or something. (laughs) O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app 
on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. For uh, the first time, but hopefully not the last time here on Fish News, uh, we're going to shut up and kind of, kind of at least, pass the mic to our buddy and meat eaters fishing editor, Sam Lunger now. Um, it's kind of like how real news orgs kick it to the guy in the field to, to bring some more light to a very big story than Miles or I could bring it on our own. Sam, what's going on, man? Thanks for, uh, thanks for, for, I don't know, stopping doing real work and coming to talk to us for a little bit. <laughs> It's nice to have somebody here besides me and Miles for a change in the news space. Well, thanks for pulling me away from my real work to talk about some interesting stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is technically we do have you here to talk about your real work because because uh, this is one of those stories that uh, we weren't able to cover and uh, and shouldn't be covering because it's super regionally focused and we need to. I mean, fact is, everybody, we needed to bring in the big guns and someone who who was a, a local on this story. Otherwise, we would have looked like. A, a bunch of jerks really yeah. talking about this one has to be told by, by somebody where this hits close to home yeah you know it'd be like miles yeah. telling striper stories this just doesn't work it just doesn't work yeah <laughs> yeah well miles can always be our our hawaii correspondent this is true yeah we have a lot to cover there really what like two stories so far ever <laughs> um anyway with that sam's got a really interesting piece for us and uh yeah i don't know everything you got sam i, I know the basics and, and i'm looking forward to seeing what you bring and just to just to be clear, this ran on the meateater.com. That's where this this all precipitates from. Yep. Okay. Sam. Yeah, so back in December, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife announced that they aren't going to allow anglers to fish for steelhead out of boats on most of the coastal rivers this season, as well as banning bait and barbed hooks, but but that's nothing new. So as a lot of people are probably aware, native steelhead runs have been in the shitter for the last four years. And I mean, going back far, a lot further than that, but like especially bad and like even and predicted to be even shittier this year. Um, and some folks are even speculating that these populations are on the brink of extinction. But WDFW believes that they'll be able to reduce the recreational catch rate by about 50% with these new regulations. But obviously... A lot of people are super pissed about this, especially guides. They had a protest parade through Forks a few weeks ago, and a change.org petition to change these rules has gathered 5,000 signatures. And boats are basically how guided steelhead trips work. The guide rows a drift boat or raft right next to or right on top of the prime holding lies, and clients run through with plugs or drift gear, bobbers and worms, bobber dog rigs, jigs, indicator nymph rigs, you name it. But it's really effective. Uh, you know, one study showed that guided anglers on the sole duck caught some 80% of the steelhead caught in that river that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you mentioned, I wrote an article about this for the Meat Eater website a few weeks ago. And that got people a bit stirred up. But like, <laughs> my message was this. You're in hiding right now, aren't you? Like, you're, in like, you're in an undisclosed location. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. We don't know. He's in an Airbnb somewhere. <laughs> this somewhere is my safe house. Yeah. <laughs> Witness protection program. <laughs> but I'm standing by my message, guys. And my message was, think you don't like Washington's new regs? Just you wait until the federal government gets involved. So hmm. to, to take a step back, I caught my first winter run steelhead while skipping class during my senior year of high school up in the Skagit river. Good choice. Just, mm-hmm. just yeah. two months later, 
two months later, the entire Puget Sound distinct population segment of steelhead were listed under the Endangered Species Act. The Skagit didn't reopen for its world-famous late winter fishery for a decade, and, and it's still hit or miss whether or not they'll have a season, and they're probably not going to have one this year. And the Skykomish, the Stillaguamish, the Snoqualmie, and a shitload of other rivers that start with the letter S still haven't been reopened. And the, the Washington coast in the Olympic Peninsula is one of only four steelhead metapopulations in the lower 48 that haven't yet come under the umbrella of the feds. Pretty much everything else is listed under the Endangered Species Act already. So there's a lot of different factors at play with why steelhead runs have fallen to fractions of a percent of their historical abundance. Yeah, we've covered a ton of them on here. Yeah. Like that's a, a frequent news item. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people people love to speculate wildly about what it is. And and one thing's for certain, it's never it's never anyone's it's never that person's fault. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong, but it's not me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not me. It couldn't be me. Having read your story though, like the crux of what what you're saying and what you know is that as harsh as this is and as upsetting as it is to people, it's 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 better than having the federal government come in and say nothing, no fishing, no, it, it, just shut it down completely. Exactly, and and I mean the Endangered Species Act is is designed to function kind of as the iron fist of the federal government slamming down to prevent extinction. It's famously severe. I mean, like look at the controversy that's been going on around spotted owls for thirty years. But it's also also arguably effective if you look at species like wolves that have been recently delisted. But that same severity also makes it an effective deterrent. Like if you look back at 2015, 11 states and groups as far apart as environmentalists and oil developers and ranchers and hunters came together to design plans to save the greater sage grouse throughout mm -hmm. the Intermountain West. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then later that year, when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service reviewed the grouse for listing, they ruled them to be, quote, warranted but precluded, which is basically an admission that it's a big problem, but the states are on top of it so they can put their resources elsewhere. So that's right. exactly what Washington is trying to do with his boat fishing ban. And, you know, after publishing this article, my, my name is, is kind of being trashed, like, you know, from the hump tulips to the hoe and back again. Boy, but like, wait, I'm just trying to point this out to people. Like, I don't love this rule either. <laughs> you know, I have a ton of friends who are guides and I want to see yeah. them continue making a living. But like, and this rule messed up my own plans too. But I'm just really worried that if an ESA listing comes down, this fishery is going to evaporate. And that's like not a boogeyman thing. Like there are yeah. some of the litigious wild fish groups have already said that they're going to petition U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service under a more amenable Biden administration to list the coastal steelhead stock. And you know what? Like they're probably going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I just have I just have one question because see this is not my world, admittedly, right? I am not as fluent on the West Coast steel scene as you guys are. But before we get into because we're gonna re I want I want you to read some of the the, the things people have saying uh, been saying about you specifically. I believe you've you've queued up some comments that we'll get into, <laughs> but and this is just a question more out of ignorance. I mean, this system has been in place elsewhere out there for a long time, like the Deschutes. You cannot fish from a boat on the Deschutes. Most correct? of the Skeena system. 
too. Yeah, yeah, you're right, right about the Deschutes and like in like Steelhead Valhalla in around Terrace, British Columbia. Nobody fishes from boats for Steelhead and haven't for a long time. And and to to clarify, you it's not that you can't put a boat on these rivers, you just can't fish out of it. So like I experienced on Deschutes, you can use your boat to go from point A to point B, but then you have to get out and fish, right? Correct. Correct. And and that's how a lot of people already do it. Right. And, and, and there's also a valid argument to be made here that like, you know, the, the Bogashiel is not the Deschutes, you know, there's steep banks that are covered in rocks and moss and it's, it's, it's very dangerous. A lot of the, a lot of the steelhead seasons, the rivers will like barely ever come into shape, like not be too right. muddy to fish. Right. And, and so like a lot of people are arguing, like, what about elderly people? What about young people? What about disabled anglers? And like, I get that, man. And, and, and originally there weren't concessions for those people, but I, I have heard that WDFW is, is changing their tune there. And so that's, that's good to hear. Cause like, I've got buddies out there who are still fishing and rowing people down the rivers in their seventies and, right. and, and young folks and people who can't walk well, like I, that I, I feel like I feel like it's very fair that the rules are a little bit different there. But like the fact of the matter is like WDFDW had to do something. Like the status quo here has failed, and restricting recreational anglers is the only tool they have available. They can't stop the Japanese high seas trawlers. They can't stop the tribes. They can't stop warm water in the North Pacific. And, and, they, and these rules have been getting more and more restrictive for decades. So, like, if you didn't see this coming or something like this coming, you just haven't been paying attention. The last thing I want to say is kind of where we're coming from here, where I'm coming from here, I suppose, is like, it's a big part of our ethos at Meat Eater to have respect for and deference to biologists and wildlife managers. They have a tough job and too many hunters and anglers have shit talked them for too long. Like, I'm not happy about this decision, but I understand why it was made. And I hesitate to second guess a game agency that is trying to save a game species from extinction. And there have been public forums and public comment periods throughout all of this process. But very few people were willing to tune in until something happened that they didn't like. So, like, last thing I want to say to anybody who, who, who hates me over this is, like, if you don't like this rule, like, get involved in the process and be part of the solution. Yelling at me is not going to accomplish anything. And I just really don't feel like steel has, <laughs> Steelhead owe us anything. Like, but we owe the Steelhead, like, all we can do to keep them around. And we, like, definitely owe it to the generations to follow. Like, my best friend, one of my best friends who I've been fishing Steelhead with for 15 years had a son this year. And he is convinced that his son won't be able to fish native steelhead with us on the Olympic peninsula. And that breaks my heart, man. And I just, I just feel like, I feel like, you know, at least, at least they're trying at least, at least some measure of attempt is being made to save these fish. Yeah. And I think, I think a couple things that we got to throw in here before we, before we close out one, if you, if you don't know anything about this particular subculture of, of anglers in this particular area they might be the most divided and angry group of, of fishermen that i've ever come across me uh, too and that that's important for those of you who don't know about this the other thing is is in your article that i read you know on, on some of those systems all these fish are getting caught at least once and some of them are getting caught multiple times right according yeah. to the statistics and i think that's an important point throughout it's like the escapement's getting past the nets but they're all getting caught and released by anglers and that has an impact and 
And before we, we let you go, because we want you to tell us some of the, the, the awful hate mail that you've gotten, because we find that entertaining. But I, I, I should point out that three different friends of mine, after reading your article, reached out to me and, and like said straight up, like, hey, man, is, is Sam okay? Is, is, is someone, is, is anyone going to, are people trying to hurt him? So like, I think before we close out, Sam, why don't you, why don't you give us an example of the kind of crazy feedback you're getting from people and how upset they are because you were trying to tell this, what I consider to be a journalistic story about the state of things. Yeah. And, you know, and before I do that, Miles, I, and I am okay. And thanks for asking. Um, but like, <laughs> you're okay I, right now because nobody knows where you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The safe house. Um, but you know, I, I, I heard from one of the the top guides out there the other day and I was totally expecting him to thrash me. And we had a really great conversation about this and found a lot of middle ground. And so I I do believe that a lot of rational people are kind of seeing what's happening here in its totality, not just kind of what's in front of their face. And I have gotten more positive comments than negative. Just read the negative. Just read the negative. Yeah, we we were happy to hear that, but we want to hear the train wreck. (laughs) So this fella said, you ever research South American king salmon and how they got there? I mean, really researched it. See, you are spewing propaganda and a rhetoric, dot, dot. The simple problem is there aren't brought steelhead. The simple solution, all caps, more steelhead. Furthermore... WDFW is funded 25 to 40% yearly by federal endangered species monies. Therefore, they would go bankrupt if wild fish ever came back. Also research the Quinault, misspelled. It is amazing how they get awesome returns on all these warm weather years and with all the bad nets. Quinault is the best steelhead fishery in the entire Pacific Northwest. And he closes by saying something distasteful about uh, my friend and employer, Stephen Ranella, that I uh, would rather not repeat. I think we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, All right, no, we got time for one that. more. You got one more just short, really cutting good one, whether the spelling's right or not. I also got this one. Bullshit. I live in Washington <laughs> State, and we have hogs for steelhead. I catch them all the time and avoid game officers while I take a picture of them and put them back. Well, can't argue with that kind of science. That's hashtag right, dude, we, could, we could spend so much more time reading those shorties because I'm sure there's some good ones. But, um, dude, it, it's, it's a great article. It was an important article, and uh, we're happy that you came on to talk to us about it here. I'm also going to say, Phil, that uh, Sam is eligible for a win this week. I think Absolutely. I think any, any one of us could win based on the work we've done here. And, um, you know. I know who I'd vote for, and it wouldn't be me or you, Joe. But, <laughs> Phil, you, you you make your choice. Agreed. We'll see what <laughs> Phil has to say, and then we're going to move into trivia with our good buddy, Robert Hawkins. For obvious reasons, Sam Lundgren, you're the winner of Fish News. <laughs> but, Miles, don't sell your story short. I mean, it had everything. Suspense, mystery, action. Put that all together, and... Baby, you got a stew going. You gotta be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. 
Joining us today to play a little trivia, my good buddy, Mr. Robert Hawkins, owner of Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bobby Nachos, as you're known. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great. How are you guys? We are we are doing well. We're going to have a little fun today. Um, so just, just to fill everybody in, uh, the month was November, the year 2015, when you, sir, caught a 57-inch muskie on Millax Lake on the fly claiming the current world record fly caught muskie. And you and I over the years have talked about this ad nauseum, and you've talked to so many other people about it. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that you are tired of talking about it. Fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about it now either. This is just the jumping off point for your first trivia question today. I hope that you are ready to play. Uh, at just north of 132,000 acres, Millax is the second largest lake in Minnesota, and I'd say it has a pretty solid reputation as a top fishing destination, not just in your home state, but also around the country. Would you agree with that? Agree, yep. Okay, so the question is, how many current Minnesota state record fish do you think were plucked from the mighty waters of Millax? Is it A11, B4, C0, or D1? I'm going to say four. Four. So you're going, you're going low number there. Um, if that's your final answer, that is incorrect. The, the answer is zero. Wow. Presently, mm. there are no state record fish uh, in Minnesota okay. from, yeah. from Mille Lacs, which I found very interesting because it's one of the most heavily fished bodies of water there, and I hear all kinds of good things. But a quick follow-up. To that, uh, I, I happened to notice while doing research that Minnesota's current state record muskie measured 56 inches and weighed 54 pounds and has stood since 1957 from Lake Winnebagosh, and I'm sure you know all about that. Yep, very but, much. But, I mean, dude, uh, technically, uh, you beat that on the fly, and I understand you had no intention of keeping that fish, yep. but had you, you would hold the state record spot right now, would you not? Potentially, the, the the thing with Minnesota is they do it by weight and not by length. Right. And the girth on that on the Winnebagosh fish may have outdone my fish by maybe a pound or two. So mine may have been a pound or two short of uh, what that fish weighed, uh, if that makes sense. Okay. So we'll never know, but the potential definitely exists. Yeah. I mean, it was for Minnesota state record fish to be fly caught. Yep. 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 Okay, that's impressive. That's that. Okay, all right. So we'll get off the record fish. We'll go to another video um, that you were in because there's there's awesome video of that fish being caught. But there's another clip out there. Uh, in fact, we used it in the promo video to announce the launch of uh, Bent, in which you were being filmed in the final throes of cleaning a Yeti cooler in which beef jerky sandwiches and other assorted edibles had been marinating with the lid closed for what was it? Two months? Two weeks? Something like that? Uh, at least, well, at least a couple, three weeks. But my garage uh, <laughs> gets ex my garage is like 120 degrees in the summer, so. Uh so. Maybe two weeks at 120 degrees. Two weeks at 100, and, and it, it, it's jerky sandwiches. Anything? Was there anything else? Yeah, notable? what was in there? I want yeah. to know. I want to know what those contents were that created such a putrid, epic putrid dry odor. heaves. There's, yeah. you know, there's always loose potato chips with water <laughs> sloshing around. Um, there's, you know, half spilled beers usually in there. Um, probably some grapes that we thought we were going to eat <laughs> to be healthy, but didn't. 
you know. <laughs> I, I have never heard somebody wretch quite like that. We might have to repost that on our on our socials, Miles. I think we do. I think we do. And it sounds to me like a primordial soup. Like you might have actually spawned <laughs> some new creatures, new life that never before existed on this planet came out of that cooler. It's so unfortunate. What Aaron missed like all the that was like the He very, caught the tail end yeah, in the, the video. Yeah. It was so much more before that <laughs> even too. <but laughs> so this came is, across. So this is kind of a goofy little question but we're all going to learn something from it so based on that experience which of the following is not recommended for use in removing foul odor from your cooler Hmm. is it a charcoal briquettes b baby powder c cat litter d baking soda which of those is not recommended for removing incredibly foul odors from a record stank cooler I don't know the answers to these either, so I'm, I'm puzzling over this as much as you are. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I'm going to say, I mean, charcoals, I'm going to say cat litter because it probably has some sort of like chemical in it that's not supposed to be in your cooler, maybe. Actually, the made up one here is bee baby powder. All the rest are recommended, at least on okay. the interwebs, for removing rank odor from your cooler. However, I will say the most common one, the one I see used most, uh, any guesses? Maybe charcoal. Bleach. Char- oh, bleach. Oh, no, bleach is disinfecting. We're just talking about like there's like such an embedded stank uh, in there. Fair like, enough. Like you're just trying to get odor out, not necessarily disinfect. And yes, charcoal charcoal yeah. briquettes. So, uh, fun fact, if if you ever have a mishap like uh, Mr. Hawkins here, get you some of them Kingsford, fill that sucker up, close the lid, and let it <laughs> marinate for a few days. Anyway, this has been really fun, and we thank you so much for playing today. Thank you. <laughs> Enthusiasm. That's what we like here on Bent. Yeah, I think we I think we need to bring back and and reshare that video oh. of Hawkins dry totally, heating totally. over the cooler because it's uh it's just so gross and guttural and yet. It's informative. There's a lesson there. <laughs> There's a lesson there. But There's he a lesson there. Yeah, he, it's a quick lesson at the end. We'll, we'll reshare the video this week. Um, uh, speaking of, of guttural, right? I once fished a lure that made me make guttural noises and uh, also made me dry heave, a la Hawkins. I, I learned that just this week. Uh, something I learned from from this week's end of line segment. So Joe's, uh, Joe's going to mimic his good friend Bobby Nacho's there, and he's going to get all gross and guttural and informative. He's going to give you some tips on what you should never do when getting into the chopper in the Amazon. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Perhaps you're very familiar with the wood chopper. It's also very possible you've never heard of it. I liken this lure to a great band with a devout cult following that tried to get a major label record deal for decades only to eventually burn out, leaving a smattering of even lesser-known cover bands in its wake. The Wood Chopper is a topwater hardbait, and while they've been made in many sizes, the 6- to 8-inch models were the most common. The design is rather simple. You've got a painted, cigar-shaped body, and at the tail, between that body and the rear treble hook is an oversized metal double-blade propeller. Like many baits featured here, there is some haze and murk to the story of the woodchopper, but my research points to it being an original creation of Ozark Mountain lures. 
It debuted in the 1950s and was primarily marketed as a musky bait. Ozark's design actually featured a propeller at the head and the tail. And while there's not tons of info on the interwebs about these early versions, I get the sense that aside from catching muskies, these topwaters became sleepers, if you will, for giant largemouth bass as well. The woodchopper was designed to be versatile. You could steadily reel one in, making those blades buzz and the body wake. You could slow roll a chopper to create a lazy bubble trail, or you could violently snap a wood chopper to make a rip saw racket on the surface. And it's that last dance move that pushes our story forward. The wood chopper's design has arguably inspired and influenced many other successful baits, perhaps most notably the Whopper Flopper. But just as my beloved Misfits inspired bands like Metallica that would go on to have platinum records and make millions of dollars, the Woodchopper by itself never really achieved superstardom. Still, Lure Jensen owner Phil Jensen saw potential and purchased the Woodchopper design from Ozark Mountain Lures in 1991. Once Lure Jensen took over, they quickly got rid of that front propeller. In the late 80s and early 90s, peacock bass fishing in the Amazon was getting more and more attention from American anglers. And what they learned was that the sound of a woodchopper being jerked across the surface in Mach 1 bursts created an auditory kill cue for monster peacocks better than anything else. Now I'm guessing here, but removing the front prop created less resistance, allowing early pioneers to rip those choppers a little harder and a little faster. Shortly after Lure Jensen purchased the woodchopper, an angler by the name of Doc Lawson broke the all-tackle world record for peacocks with a 27-pounder using the lure. In short order, a Lure Jensen woodchopper became standard kit for Amazon peacock hunters looking for big dogs. In fact, as one piece I read suggested, if you showed up in the Amazon without woodchoppers, you were labeled a complete novice. Throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s, between the rise of the internet and more lodge operations opening in South America, peacock fishing in the Amazon slowly morphed from a game for the rich and fortunate to pretty affordable to more people. And the woodchopper's reputation as the trophy peacock lure only strengthened. But it didn't strengthen enough, apparently. In 2006, Phil Jensen sold his entire company to Rapala, and by 2011, the Lure Jensen Woodchopper was out of production, because despite the lure's prominence in the peacock scene, the small market of Amazon-bound anglers simply generated too little money to justify its place in the catalog, and by then, it seemed nobody was really using a woodchopper for anything but peacock bass. I finally got to the Amazon in 2015, and sure enough, there wasn't a Lure Jensen woodchopper anywhere in sight, but as it often goes with defunct plugs, a small batch maker steps in to fill the void. The lodge I stayed at set us up with rip rollers, pretty much carbon copies of woodchoppers made by high roller lures out of Gainesville, Florida. Now, having spent years watching videos of massive peacocks crushing choppers, I couldn't wait to fish them. But then I did a very dumb thing. My first night at the lodge, me and the fellas got our drank on and we failed to drink any water between the adult bevs. So, the next morning, while my excitement overrode any hangover, and I was pretty bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when I made my first cast, with a rip roller and started chugging, things took a turn. Harder, sir, is all our guide said. So, I ripped that lure harder. More hard, sir, he said after my second retrieve. And that's when I realized, to work a roller or chopper like you're supposed to, you're going to burn out the arms and shoulders. Now, normally I'd say, bring the but within an hour, the remnant booze, dehydration, and 110 degree heat at the equator caught up to me and I about collapsed. With my head spinning, I slugged three waters back to back and then fought to keep those down. And then I think I just kind of laid on the deck for a good long while until I recovered. 
Lesson learned about hard liquor in the Amazon. And side note, I fished that rip roller right proper for the rest of the trip. And while I stuck a couple, my biggest peacock, a 13-pounder, hit a big storm chug bug, which I probably could have worked effectively being like full-blown lemmy drunk. So that's all the time we have this week. If you happen to just fast forward through the entire show and get to this very spot, you missed a deep dive into Carl Weathers that a <laughs> biography could not touch with a 10-foot surf rod. Oh, man, you sure did. But listen, um, don't miss out on your chance to be on this show. Keep those bar nominations, sale bin items, and awkward photos rolling into bent at com. Remember, if we use anything you send, you will get a sweet little care package of stickers from us. Or just say hi. Mm-hmm. Right in. Say what's up. Or, or you guys suck. Whatever. Whatever you want. Uh, and don't forget, we got eyes on those Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast hashtags you can get stickers if if you grab our attention that way too yeah and once you realize your minimal fishing successes aren't producing a gram worthy shot that catches our attention you're gonna give that shit up you're gonna concentrate on golf finally i've been waiting for a happy gilmore reference this entire episode You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.